Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to hang ten with the tubular and radical and most bodacious Silver Emotion. Austin, you get back in the shit. Stop, I'm sick of your bullshit. Austin, you get back in the shit. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> it's just gentlemen. <laughs> Are there any ladies out there? <laughs> ladies night. <laughs> no, um, I don't know why I say that. I just say it because it seems like uh, something you should say at the beginning of a show. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, welcome. This is uh, episode number 23 of the Silver Emotion Podcast. My name is Will, and uh, I'm going to talk about some movies. Get ready. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, uh, <laughs> uh, fucking shit energy, uh, right out of the gate. <laughs> okay, so, I am going to talk about, uh, I think I'm going to talk about this movie the most, so I'll say that this episode is, um, featuring... The 1968, I think it is, uh, 1968 Japanese film called Genocide. It is the uh, last movie in the Criterion Eclipse box set when horror came to Shochiku. So uh, there's that. And then, what's up with this fucking mic? Um... Seems a little low. A little low. <laughs> I don't want to give all up in it, though. All right. Um, so then after that, what else do I got? I got a Sammo Hung movie called Carry On Pickpocket from 1982. And then uh, from 1983, I'm going to be talking about a movie uh, with the, the late Bill Paxton uh, called Mortuary. He's very young in this movie, because it's 1983, obviously. I don't know when he was born, but uh, he's pretty fucking young in this movie. Like 20 or something like that. Um, rest in peace, Bill. We love you. And uh, and then the, the last movie I'm going to talk about is a black exploitation movie called Brotherhood of Death. So, pretty stacked show with good stuff. Um... And there's a whole lot of feedback. I got a lot of feedback, so let's um, let's pull it up here. Well, you should uh, you should have prepared. You know the first the first first podcast, second podcast. I never, I didn't, you know, I felt like I was like trying to figure out how to do it, and then I think it was the third third one. Whatever one I did, Messiah of Evil on. I prepared like a lot and it uh like when I recorded it it felt like it went really well um and then I tried to do that 
same type of preparation for other shows and it never really worked out in the same way like I never felt like it was a good show um so <laughs> ever since then I just kind of winged it and I don't know <laughs> I don't know that they're they're um the best they could be but uh, it's it's probably funner just to uh, wing it and it's probably better to listen to I don't know who knows people like to stare at a train wreck do they like to listen to a train wreck <laughs> um, if a train wreck happens in the woods and nobody's around <laughs> and uh, somebody's playing 2001 on the train and nobody's watching it <laughs> does it make a sound I don't know these are the questions that the Silver Emulsion Podcast is not answering, but we will, we being me, <laughs> we will uh, put them out there into the internet land. All right, so feedback. I've been dicking around talking about fucking imaginary trains. Um, all right, so first piece of feedback... Uh, is from uh, Uncle Jasper. And Uncle Jasper says, Great show this week, dude. <laughs> I always go into this dumb fucking voice when I read feedback. <laughs> uh, you got me all excited about Wong Kar Wai again. So I ended up giving Days of Being Wild another viewing. I hadn't seen it in years, but after the first five minutes, I was already getting the feels again. God damn, what a great movie with great actors giving great performances. I miss Leslie Chung. He was such a rotten piece of shit in this movie, but I suppose he was just a product of his equally shitty upbringing. What a loss, man. What a fantastic fucking actor he was. What I had totally forgotten was that Tony Lung uh, was in the final scene of the movie. Once I saw the scene again, I remembered how much this used to intrigue me when I was younger. Only Wong Kar Wai would give an A-list actor, would take an A-list actor, give him two minutes of screen time at the very end of the movie with not a single line of dialogue. Uh, I fucked up the cadence on that, but whatever. You got it. Um, I originally heard that this scene was supposed to lead into the next story, which never happened. Uh, but now I've read that he's actually playing the same character that he ended up playing in uh, in The Mood for Love, which makes sense, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I've been really digging the show lately, and usually I'm able to finish an entire episode before I get out the door to work in the morning. It makes for a perfect lip-smacking, chair-squeaking <laughs> start to my day. <laughs> <laughs> oh well thanks for the <laughs> thanks for that uh, <laughs> uh i am I'm happy to uh lip smack your way to success uh, <laughs> uh throw in some fucking wheeze laughs for you <laughs> um so yeah, fucking Days of Being Wild. What a dope movie. I'm glad you watched it again because uh, it really needs to be watched. Um, I know like you were a big Wong Kar Wai fan back in the day and you still are, obviously. 
Um, but like, I mean, everybody should watch this fucking movie. Everybody should watch Wong Kar Wai movies. He's fucking great. But um, this fucking movie, I don't know. I feel like nobody talks about this movie. Um, not that I talk to people, but like everybody, like the film people or whatever, film nerds or snobs or whatever you want to call them on the internet, they all know Chunking Express because uh, it's like the biggest movie that Wong Kar Wai has in the repertoire. And it's got a Criterion release and Tarantino put it out originally in the U.S. on DVD um, and VHS uh, before that. And I think it got a theatrical release too. But like, and you know, Chunking Express is fucking dope. But I don't know. Days of Being Wild, man. It deserves more credit, and and I think it has like a release in the U.S. a video release, DVD or whatever. So it's not like it's unavailable, but I don't know for whatever reason. I would love to see Criterion put out um, at least this movie, but if if not more, you know. But um, but yeah, I'm glad you watched it again. Leslie Chung, man, he is fucking good in this movie. I I've been watching a lot of Hong Kong movies, um, especially over the last year, but um, I, the whole time I've been doing Silver Emulsion, it's been like this, you know, a slow ramp up of more and more Hong Kong stuff to get back to where I like was as a teenager, where I just only watched Hong Kong movies pretty much uh, for a few, probably a couple of years there. Um. That's kind of what this whole thing is. It's just reclaiming that fucking glory days of the youth. <laughs> the glory days of the youth. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen <laughs> couldn't have said it better. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's kind of like the whole thing. It's like, oh, I was so happy finding Hong Kong movies. You know, let's recapture that fucking glory. I'm like a drug addict, you know, searching, chasing that dragon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, fucking Leslie Chung is is such a loss. He was so good. And anyway, what I was trying to get to was that I'd watched all these Hong Kong movies over years, over the years, the last few years. And uh, Days of Being Wild was actually the f- the first movie in all of those that uh, Leslie Chung was in. So I hadn't seen him like since we were teenagers, and. <laughs> He's so fucking good. Like, oh, god damn. I don't even think I mentioned him in the last episode, but fuck. He's great. Thanks for uh, bringing him up. And uh, the thing with Tony Lung at the end of the movie is it, it's exactly what you said. It, like, it's so intriguing because he is fucking Tony Lung and he's just there, like, getting ready, basically, to go out. And it's so intriguing, and especially as, like, the end of that movie. Um, it's, like, it's just something that, uh, you know, it leaves you with this feeling of, like, oh, what was that about? You know, what what was the significance of that? You know, it's a great scene. It's very nice. You know, it's, it's fucking Wong Kar Wai, so it's shot great. And it's, uh, it's Tony Lung getting ready, you know. <laughs> there are definitely uh, less enchanting things to watch than that. Um, 
but I was thinking about it and like Leslie Chung is kind of this playboy guy player if you will (laughs) and the beginning of the movie shows him uh, and like trying to talk to Maggie Chung and he's got the watch and he's pretty not like Tony Lung slick but he's clearly like put together and like on a mission to basically like go and see Maggie Chung and and talk to her and sort of make a good impression and he's gonna make that impression no matter what and he's using these uh, the thing specifically the watch the accoutrement (laughs) of, of the fucking player and we then throughout the whole movie see his story play out and how it ends and then the movie ends with a totally different guy getting ready and I I believe he puts on a watch too if I remember right and like he's getting ready and then it just ends because it's this you know it's a it's fucking man and woman baby <laughs> endless cycle um and just just the idea of like this guy is getting ready and maybe He's a guy like Leslie Chung. Maybe he's a totally different type of guy. Maybe his story will end differently. Maybe it'll end similarly to Leslie Chung. I don't know. Um, I haven't seen it In the Mood for Love since like I first saw it. I only saw it the one time like whenever it came out. Um, so I really don't remember anything about his character in that. Um, and he plays the same character in in twenty forty six, right? I think so. I don't remember if that was a specific sequel or if that was just like a spiritual sequel. Because again, I only saw that right when it came out in Hong Kong. I don't remember shit about them because it's been so long. Um, but I just I like the idea of Days of Being Wild being uh almost a complete circle with Leslie Chung's character and then like starting a new circle but you don't know what the fuck happens and I don't even like the fact that it's supposed to be the same guy as in in the mood for love like it's cool it's a cool little like uh factoid or whatever you want to say about it. it it's interesting that's another thing like Chungking Express and in the mood for love are like the two big like film snob Wong Kar Wai movies and like I almost feel bad when pe- when I hear people talking about Wong Kar Wai and like those are the movies that they know because it's like god damn it Wong Kar Wai was ours man if he's fucking Hong Kong you don't know shit about Hong Kong movies <laughs> uh, I just feel like they're they're just uh I don't know fucking posers <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't be like that but I mean, I should be glad that anybody watches any fucking Hong Kong movies or that any Hong Kong movie gets a fucking American release that's uh, worth anything and it's not edited. But anyway, whatever. (laughs) Um, And then what else did you say? Um, Yeah, that's cool that you've been digging the show lately. I don't know uh, what has been different about the recent shows other than I'm just 
kind of winging it uh, probably more than usual, uh, which is probably fun to listen to. I don't know. I guess so. You say you're digging it. So uh, <laughs> I'll have to do uh, more lip smacking and chair squeaking. Woo! <laughs> Um, yeah, this new setup doesn't really uh, lend itself to chair squeaking in the same way that the other one did. So I'll have to move around a little bit more <laughs> just for you. <laughs> All right. So, fuck, that's almost 20 minutes already. Jesus. <laughs> I are, I foresee myself having to, to record some in the morning. <laughs> that's what happened with the keep last time. I fucking... I was doing really well and I was recording it and and at night like I always do and then like I started talking about the keep and it just <laughs> like it I just like uh like when you turn the car off and the fucking gas gauge just goes from full to empty like in a millisecond <laughs> that's what it fucking felt like and it was just like oh man I don't <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do this <laughs> So I just stopped, and then I, I recorded the other part in the morning. <laughs> and it's pretty clear, because it's like I'm all upbeat like this, and then in the morning it's like, all right, so the keep. Um, <laughs> so if that happens again, um, <laughs> like, uh, you'll know what happened. Okay, so feedback, feedback. I got a comment from Steven. Uh, he says, I was talking about uh, Water Margin, so he says, uh, there was a Black Whirlwind character in the Bioware game Jade Empire. He was a huge guy with two axes and was more than happy to beat the shit out of anyone. Sounds fucking just like uh, <laughs> Black Whirlwind in the, in the Water Margin movies. Um, anyway, uh, I maybe shouldn't be surprised to find out that he came from the Water Margin as that game was based on Chinese folklore. But it surprised me anyway. I guess I expected any reference to that story would be uh, in a more epic way. Like how the Xu Koden... See, that? now that's another thing. Uh, this fucking... This Xu Koden? <laughs> if that's how you say it, I don't know. Xu Koden? I don't know. That's probably, that's probably closer. Xu Koden? Xu Koden? Koden? I don't know. Anyway, that's one of these things that I see uh, and I've never tried to say. <laughs> Soy Gordon. Soy Gordon. Hey, come on, it's Sokeden. <laughs> Sokeden, what the fuck is that? Um, but I just try to say it. Anyway, I don't know anything about it. I don't know what it is, but I see it around. So, to get back to the comment, um, he thought that the reference would be uh, done in a more epic um, way, um, like how the Shukuden series is always about getting the 108 stars of destiny to join your team makes me wonder what other references to the water margin i've been missing all this time well i don't know <laughs> i don't know um i'm sure there's lots of references here and there um there was a a game whatever i don't i don't have consoles so i don't know the what fucking platform it was but I think it was 360 era there was a game that was based on Journey to the West which is obviously not Water Margin but it is another of China's uh, classic novels 
um, that's like a fucking 800 years old or some shit. And I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> so it doesn't really help you or anybody. But there was this game based on Journey to the West. And I don't think that it was um, visually or or mythologically um, set in China or, or ancient China or anything. I think it was refreshed to be like, I don't know, uh, let's say post-apocalyptic or something. You know, it was it was redone in a way that it was completely different, but the whole thing was based on uh, that. So maybe there's things like that um, for Water Margin. I don't know. Uh, I did play Jade Empire back in the day. Um, after the first Mass Effect, I think. I think it was. First Mass Effect... Uh, blew my mind. I fucking love the first Mass Effect. And in the waiting for uh, Mass Effect 2 or, or Dragon Age or one of those things, um, I got, I went back and I got like Jade Empire and Knights of the Old Republic and whatever the fuck else they did. I don't remember offhand. And I played through them, and it was very enjoyable. And Jade, Jade Empire is really good, but I don't remember like anything about that. I remember like I remember noticing like, oh, that's this guy or that guy, but I wasn't as well versed in mythology, like Chinese stuff, um, as I am now. Not that I'm a fucking scholar or know anything, but I I know a lot more just from watching all these Shaw Brothers movies and and learning about the shit like where they come from or what it's based on or whatever. So I I should really play through that again because I would definitely get a kick out of seeing Black Whirlwind um, in game form. Uh, So thanks for for bringing that up. I don't know anything about Stukoden, as I said, but uh, the uh, 108 Stars of Destiny sounds fun. Um, Aren't they kind of like strategy games or something like that? I don't know. I should look it up. All right, let's do this. Oh, fuck. All right, all right, all right. I should check to see if it's recording. Yeah, it's recording. It's fine. (coughs) Role-playing video game originally created by Yoshitaka Murayama. Loosely based on the Chinese classical novel Water Margin. Well, there you go. Um, oh, water margin, I guess, is is Shui, Shui Hu Zan. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Shui. <laughs> uh, Shui Hu Xuan. Something like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> anyway, when it's uh, written in Japanese, uh, it's like whatever these fucking characters are. And then you read that phonetically as Shukoden. So there you go. It fucking translates to water margin. Um, and then all the games do this. And the 108 Stars of Destiny... The 108 protagonists who are loosely interpreted interpreted from the source material. Where well, shit? There you go. Fuck! I want to play these now and and get on the uh, get all my guys. Get my fucking 
flowery monk and panther head and everybody <laughs> black whirlwind and timely rain uh what are my other dudes fuck um Wusung tiger killer what's uh Yan Ching the prodigy <laughs> uh what's that other fucking guy damn I don't remember him um anyway <laughs> riveting audio just me fucking naming off <laughs> fucking water margin characters so when did this game came out oh playstation sega saturn yeah i thought it was the saturn game that that's what stuck in my brain oh it's on windows oh but that probably won't run on the shit now huh. oh and then it just went to playstation playstation 2 yeah see that's why i never got into it because i never really I never had a PlayStation 2. I had a PlayStation 1, but my PlayStation 1 I bought used off of eBay uh, back in the day, obviously. And it was, uh, <clears throat> well, not obviously. I guess I could buy one now off off of eBay. But um, this was like fucking late 90s. And I bought it. And it was, uh, it was all right, but it was super cheap. And it, they said, oh, it's working, or whatever. And it did work, and I had games for it, and I played them. But uh, something was wrong, like, with the the laser or, or some fucking shit. It wouldn't load discs, right? Discs. <laughs> Jesus. It wouldn't load uh, discs correctly. And uh, in order to make it easier for the laser <laughs> you had to flip it fucking upside down so you put the disc in and then just flip the whole fucking console on top of the disc drive so that there was the way that the disc drive was designed like there was uh, the little spindle would drop down like I don't know two or three millimeters or whatever <laughs> look at me using fucking millimeters <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, whatever, like an eighth of an inch or some shit. I is that comparable? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm American. I don't know millimeters. <laughs> um, anyway, it would drop down a little bit, get it closer to the needle, and then it was able to read through most of the the whatever the errors or whatever. Not everything, um, but it would, you know, it it helped. And then I sold it on eBay, I don't know, after a while, because I got tired of it not working correctly, and I just was bored with it, because I, I was more of a Saturn dude anyway. <clears throat> but uh, I don't remember why I got PlayStation to begin with. Uh, why not, am I right? <laughs> uh, no, but... Um, when I sold it, I put on the listing, like, this shit doesn't really work. I mean, it works, but, like, you gotta, you know, dick with it to get it to work. What I do to get it to work is I flip it upside down, and it fucking works most of the time. And I put all this whole thing about it. So just, you know, if you buy it, fucking uh, be warned. And then... <laughs> So dude buys it, and I sold it for more than I bought it for, if I remember right. And then they fucking write me when they get it, like, hey, this shit don't work. And I was like, well, you didn't, <laughs> you gotta read the fucking listing, man. And 
so then you know obviously he had no leg to stand on so he was just stuck with a fucked up playstation all right so then uh one last uh, piece of feedback and it comes from nick who says uh, a bit late replying here uh currently in the philippines and experiencing humid weather and slow internet. Well, it's cool hearing your take on the keep from the last part of this episode, Will. Thanks for taking it on with a quickness. So the keep novel is the first in a series called The Night World Cycle, later changed by the author to The Adversary Cycle. I guess that series is parallel with another of his series called Repairman Jack, with both series concluding in some kind of end of the world novel. Epic. Haven't read them, although they get good reviews. Personally, I've been a man fan for a long while. Collateral, Heat, and Manhunter. In a god of Eden, baby being some of my favorite flicks. His movies and shows back to the original Miami Vice have always been great at placing great visuals right next to interesting music. The Keep, though, is his only horror-slash-supernatural movie, which is why I said it was so different. I had read that a lot of the release problems with the movie had to do with some of the tangerine dream music used being from live performances and unlicensed, along with the three-hour cut, which I hadn't heard of until you mentioned it, uh, three-plus hour, (coughs) Uh, and the quick chop job by the studio, Ditto. Uh, and also the fact that Mann almost disowned the movie and supposedly considers it his least favorite, I can see why it's been unreleased for years. Remembering your critique, I was hoping you'd have a similar reaction as I did to Ian McKellen's old man makeup. Ha! The actress Alberta Watson did a good job as his daughter. Seeing Gabriel Byrne in a movie always makes me happy and he was very sinister and convincing as an evil Nazi. Too bad you didn't dig didn't dig Radu Molasar as much as I did, though. P.S. I did watch Nightbreed a year or two ago, and pretty sure it was director's cut, uh, and very Tim Burton-esque with Elfman's score. Didn't know about all the alternate takes, though, and the time involved, so I shall have to get a hold of it and compare the two versions soon. Well, thanks for that comment. Nick, uh, you say that you're a bit late in replying, but, uh, you know, it's the internet, man. It fucking time is... Time is a fluid thing, man. It's like there's no time on the internet. It's it's always now. <laughs> but, yeah, like, there's no late. Um, and, and, in fact, I mean... After I post the episode, I don't record another one until Saturday night. So anytime before that is uh, not late for for the next episode. And then, I mean, whatever. You put it in when you put it in. You know, hey, you're in the Philippines. Uh, you know, 
if you if you had to wait a week, you know, it's ain't no thing. Um, I'm again, I'm surprised that anybody really listens to this. So uh, I'm I, I'm happy that you uh, you listened and and are replying again. Um, so the keep, I, I yeah, I did I did uh, see something about those the series of books. Um, I'm curious because I I kind of want to know more about it because it's a very intriguing idea. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a lot of a lot of stuff, and I already have like a shit ton of books that I want to read. Uh, but maybe one day. And uh, Michael Mann. Yeah, I'm not really a Michael Mann fan, as I, as I said before. I do like The Insider quite a lot. I haven't seen it. I just saw it the one time, and I really liked that. I've seen Heat a couple times. I like that as well. Collateral surprised me quite a bit. It's a pretty good movie. Um, haven't seen Manhunter. I know. I need to see that. Um, I'm not... Like, I I had a, a phase where I got really into Silence of the Lambs. And it was right around the time, probably a year or two before Ridley Scott did that sequel. What the fuck was that? Hannibal? And so it all kind of coincided with that. And then I went and saw Hannibal in the theater. And that basically just killed <laughs> my fucking excitement <laughs> for that and at that time I I had no way to access Manhunter um, it was like this sort of thing that you heard about like oh there was this other fucking Hannibal Lecter movie before Silence of the Lambs and it was like a rumor almost you know like if you if you didn't know you didn't know is um, yeah the thing with the music I don't I don't know anything about the music being unlicensed or live performances or anything I know that like a lot of stuff gets held back because of like they need to relicense music and that's probably why they don't do it with this movie and they don't think it's that popular so they don't want to put it out I don't know it sucks it always bothers me like um, they put out Northern Exposure on DVD and I never watched that one was on TV, but my, my wife got me into it. And when they put out the first season, um, they relicensed all the songs that were on the show. And music is very important to that show. So it's it's just the show as it aired. And, and they're really good. And then all the, the subsequent seasons, they they determine like oh it's too expensive to put them out with the original music so we're just going to relicense like one or two songs that are are absolutely like cannot be taken away from the episodes um or else it would change the whole thing they're very you know specific like there's there's episodes where they talk about specific songs and they play it and whatever um, but the rest of it, they just replace with this fucking like elevator version of songs that are kind of like it. And because I didn't watch it, and so I don't know specifically like, oh, this was that song or that. Um, it doesn't particularly matter to me, but like, especially after watching that first season and seeing how fucking great 
and well done the music is and music is such a big part of everything to me um it's just so sad and i and i can't i can't see those shows without with with the real music um and like like return of the living dead i know for years um i don't know i think the vhs version was fine but but the uh like every DVD release has has had an altered soundtrack because there's a bunch of fucking songs in that movie and so for years like the first DVD had a bunch of songs missing and whatever and then the most recent release uh, that Scream Factory did they were able to relicense everything except for one song and if they relicensed everything uh, then I would have bought it, <laughs> but I'm such a stickler for like uncut shit that uh, I didn't. <laughs> I I won't buy it. <laughs> uh, I think there was something else I was gonna say. Um, the thing like Gabriel Byrne, I like Gabriel Byrne also, but the thing about the keep that was so like uh, unique and weird, it was like almost like like the actors didn't even matter. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, but it was like. They were there, and they were existing in this world, and it's very unique and unlike really anything that I've ever seen. Um, and I see why it has such a big following, or a big cult following anyway. Um, but, like, I don't even feel like I watched a movie with Gabriel Byrne. It's so, it's, I don't know, I had such, like, a weird um, kind of detached uh experience with that movie it's like the actors were there but they there was no like soul to it i don't i don't know how to describe it um but he i mean everybody was good it wasn't that they weren't good or anything it was just and it 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 might just be the editing um to where like they edited out all of the things that built those characters and so there you're just left with these very raw elements i don't know um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, Nightbreed. If you saw it a year or two ago, it it probably was the director's cut. They it's on Netflix instant, or at least it was when it first came out. Um, so if you watched it on that, it's definitely was the director's cut. Um, but yeah. They're they're. It, it, I fucking love that movie. So, um, if you if you can compare them, I would compare them. Honestly, after I saw the director's cut, I tried to watch the the uh, the regular theatrical one again to compare it, and I couldn't fucking watch it <laughs> because I, having known like what Clive Barker was trying to make and seeing it um, in its in its best possible form. And then trying to go back to to the other movie where it's it's kind of chopped up and stuff. It was it was I couldn't do it. Um, I could do it now because I haven't seen the director's cut in a long time. But man, like right after it, I couldn't do it. I'd have to watch the theatrical one first, um, like right before, and then watch the other one, and then I think I could do it. But anyway. I'm fucking rambling. It's like an hour. Jesus fucking Christ. 
just make a fucking feedback episode and throw it up there. Jeez. Oh man, <laughs> that's the thing. Like I've been talking for almost an hour, and I haven't even fucking talked about anything. I mean, I talked about a lot of stuff. There's a lot of tangents. So that's something, right? It's just like now I'm all tired. <laughs> like I don't want to talk about anything. Throat's all dry. Oh fuck! Did I just trash the goddamn note? <sighs> I did. I d- fucking did. Every goddamn time, my f- fat finger hits the goddamn note, and then adios. Ugh. And then it see that now I put, got it up in this recently deleted. And if I hit the wrong button, then it goes bye-bye. Because they have another fucking easy-to-hit delete button. And I'm talking, so I'm probably going to fuck it up. (coughs) Alright. Okay. So, genocide. This is 1968, is that right? Yes, and it is directed by the same guy who made uh, The X from Outer Space that I uh, talked about a number of episodes ago at some point. And uh, that guy is Kazuie Nihomatsu. Nihomatsu. I don't know. Nihomatsu. No disrespect, I, I love uh, Japanese, the, the sound of the language, um, and it's just fun to try to do <laughs> to do a, f- a shitty version of it. So, Genocide. This movie is, again, in, in the, the Criterion set, and so it's you go in, you think it's a horror movie, uh, but like just about every movie in the set, it's kind of not really a horror movie. This movie starts with a very um, good premise that could lead to a very good classic sort of monster horror movie. Uh, And you do get some of that. But there's also a lot of other stuff going on. This is probably why um, these movies were singled out for a Criterion release because they're not just straight genre movies. I mean, X from Outer Space kind of is, but but uh, the other ones are f- far less so. Well, okay, Body Snatcher was pretty fucking straight up. I feel like they, they all kind of touch on social issues and they all kind of multi-genre the movie opens with uh, atomic bomb footage, like a lot of Japanese uh, horror monster movies. Um, the, the 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 threat or whatever the 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 genesis comes from uh, atomic bomb and atomic fears. The opening credits showcase a lot of bugs and shit like that like fucking insects and like like stock footage nature footage and shit like that so it's very intriguing um just nice images very nice very good photography like fucking classic sort of nature photography which is some of the most amazing photography 
ever. You know, nature photography? Holy fuck. Some of this shit, especially nowadays where they got these fucking crazy fiber optic cameras and shit. Holy fuck. They have, like, cameras on the ground and these fucking little mice are running and all kinds of... It's fucking crazy what they do in nature footage. There's a there's a show that I've been watching on PBS. Um, my wife's watching it, and then I, I, I come in and out, but... Uh, it's called like spy spy in the wild or spy something and i fucking love it because it it marries two of my favorite things animals and special effects <laughs> so basically this special effects house whoever the fuck they are i don't know who they are i didn't catch it they create these animatronic um, animals that have like cameras and shit in their eyes and then they place them out with the other animals and so they're the fucking spy in the wild <laughs> and they make like fucking like a monkey and they had like a little wolf cub and a fucking turtle and uh, what else did they have? they had this fucking crocodile that was amphibious that could float around in the water this is fucking great. They had like a swimming underwater um, hippo animatronic thing. It's fucking amazing shit. Really, really impressive um, effects and and the the quality of the the sculpting of of the the of the creatures. <laughs> like the fucking some of them look look these like you see them and you're like oh that's that's a weird looking fucking wolf cub <laughs> something's wrong with that one um but the the croc especially that fucking croc like if 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 you look quick it looks like like a dude's holding a crocodile it's really crazy and so the only thing i could think of was that they like made some kind of a mold from an actual uh like dead croc or something i mean maybe somebody just sculpted it i don't know but it looked real as fuck like uh i don't know beyond human sculpting powers uh not that i know much about it i <laughs> you know i i know uh just shit from the periphery i don't know anything actually from like doing anything uh actually with my hands but anyway it's a fucking great show uh, so so this movie um, it, it starts off with some you know showing you bugs and crazy shit like that ants fucking uh, biting flesh <laughs> it's a great shot it's like an actual shot of this red ant biting into some dude's arm and it's all up close and you see the little pinchers like fucking like pulling on the skin and shit it's really it's it's fucking great um, so it, it it opens with that, and then they uh, show that uh, when now we're we're on an island, and there's lovers on the rocks by the beach. There's a, a Japanese guy with a blonde woman, and if I'm not mistaken, it's the same blonde that's in at least one of the other Shochiko movies in this set. Um, I think I think every movie I could be wrong but I think 
every one of the these four movies in the set has at least like two or three like American actors not anybody well known or anything but just foreign to Japan Japan <laughs> I was going to say Japanese um, just foreign foreigners and they're in the movie for some reason and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad or whatever but in this case she's a uh, a mistress to this Japanese guy who is like the main character the the, the guy and so they're they're on the rocks uh, having their little fling and a plane is flying overhead and then we go inside the plane and it's an American plane and it's carrying a hydrogen bomb at least one uh, maybe more I don't know and there's a guy uh, a black guy that's on the sh- on the plane and he's like the 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 fucking the gunner or whatever the dude that pushes the button and drops a bomb so he's going fucking ape shit um they they i think they talk about it right then where they say something about him being a drug addict and he can't get his drug so now he's like he needs he's going into fucking withdrawals or whatever he needs his fix so he's going ape shit and uh in his ape shit flailings he hits the button that opens the bomb bay doors and so I thought like oh fuck he's gonna drop a bomb and everybody's nuked and two minutes into the movie fucking end of movie (laughs) you know but that doesn't happen but the plane does end up crashing because this little situation with the guy going apeshit just continues to escalate and so now the plane goes down and uh, how the plane goes down is not just this guy going apeshit but the guy the, the guy goes apeshit and uh, the there's this like fucking huge swarm of insects that like fly directly at the plane <laughs> and so it causes it to crash um, somehow I don't remember specifically uh oh yeah yeah yeah. they all go in uh, i have notes so i can remember this shit Uh, the 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 swarm of insects like a bunch of them go into the engine the engine catches on fire then the fucking like part of the plane explodes and all of the guys that are in the ship uh the ship the i've been watching a lot of star trek so i i think of a plane as a ship now (laughs) Um, so the plane fucking explodes but these guys get out on in their uh, parachutes and so they float down to wherever the fuck on the island and and so now the the movie is not told linearly so we see that and then we lose a bunch of time and now we're back like at the Japanese guy's house and it's not just a house it's like a I don't even remember what it was it it felt like it was a hotel bar sort of thing Um, but, but he lived there also I don't remember some shit like that 
and so we go back there and then we meet uh, his wife and his father-in-law and his father-in-law fucking hates the guy and his wife is like uh, overly apologetic for him and, and uh, is is the guy is supposed to be out collecting insects for this scientist friend of his who studies um, rare insects of the island because the island is like this uh, a lot of uh, biodiversity so uh, he he's studying all the creatures and, and there's uh, brand new species that have been discovered discovered uh, there before so whenever I do that I, I do this like stutter stop talking and if I do it just right um, in my head it sounds like fucking Obama <laughs> and then I always like lose my train of thought because I hear Obama in my head <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so this guy's supposed to be out gathering insects and uh, then at the same time the US military comes and uh, they're all speaking Japanese, but they're all white guys. <laughs> they're not actually, it's dubbed, but because you can tell, like, they're speaking English, but there's no English track on the, on the disc. They only had an English track on the, on the first movie, and so, unfortunately, I don't have any sounds or anything like that. So, anyway, the, the, the military comes, they're investigating it, they need to find the plane, they need to find the bomb, uh, but they don't want to tell anybody that there's a fucking H-bomb that could explode and take out Japan, you know, because it, obviously it's a sensitive subject between America and Japan. And they don't want to act like, oh, they're, they're being careless with these bombs. Uh, so there was two crew members along with the black guy. And the two crew members, they all find their way to this cave to sort of uh, rest or whatever after they get out of the parachutes and two of the guys die and the black guy survives and so then they they try to they're trying to figure out uh, what happened and they end up talking to the Japanese guy that was on the rocks and they accuse him of murdering uh, the two t the two guys from from the plane the riveting fucking descriptions <laughs> with a bunch of oh it's this guy and that guy and the fucking guy from the rock <laughs> anyway so then there's this murder investigation but the, the scientist knows that like there's no way that this guy did it. He was collecting insects. He's a noble guy. And these guys that were killed have these very strange, pussy, nasty fucking wounds that um, are not like a human-inflicted thing. So, let's see. Um... It's not, like I said, it's it's not straight horror or anything like that. It's a very loose description of horror. There's, um, 
it starts off really strong it kind of peters out as it goes on but there's a lot of strong ideas and I don't ultimately like how they played out but they are strong ideas nonetheless uh, specifically the incorporation of insects it's a little coincidental that the guy happens to be uh, friends with the fucking the exact guy that can you know figure this out because he's a fucking insect biologist but you know hey it's a movie who gives a shit I'm entertained <laughs> um and that's I mean that's basically the movie I don't know what else to say it's uh because I, I don't want to just keep describing the plot um but it's it's hard to describe like genocide is such a title it gives it like holy shit like some serious shit's gonna go down and really not that much goes down in this movie um and even beyond being a horror movie like as an actual as a movie movie as a as a serious movie um taken out of the genre you know the the genre films designation or whatever um the ideas in that way like the dramatic ideas the thematic ideas um are also very intriguing because like when I talked about the ideas before I was talking about like just premise wise and story wise and, and just how like there were good opportunities for horror and like gory shit but it doesn't really go there and that's fine and I don't expect it to go there but um you know some some would be nice but I you know obviously I don't expect it um but yeah I mean fucking genocide <laughs> that's a rousing endorsement it's a, it's a good movie I liked it but I definitely don't care to see it again um I don't know yeah I don't know the fucking genocide <laughs> alright so <laughs> I have a feeling I'm just going to blow through these other movies <laughs> but who knows the next movie uh, was Sammo Hung's Carry On Pickpocket now this is another one of those Sammo Hung movies like um, what was the one that I mentioned before that was independent that has no release fucking the victim the victim victim was was made independently it has no real good official release like for years and years and years i don't think it's ever been officially on dvd or maybe vhs i don't I have any idea idea um and so like that movie this movie was also made independently and it was made for a company called <laughs> Always Good Films. And this company only made one movie, and it was <laughs> Carry On Pickpocket. So, especially when a company goes under like that, who owns the rights to Carry On Pickpocket? Who can license it out? Who the fuck knows? And that 
those kinds of questions are only asked and answered when people are barking up that tree to to uh, to release a movie or something. And uh, you know, honestly, Samuel Hung's like well-known shit isn't getting releases, <laughs> so I don't think anybody is seeking out uh, Carry On Pickpocket to release it. But they should because it's a good movie. Uh, like all of Sammo Hung's movies, I fucking greatly enjoyed this movie. Um, this movie is um, Sammo Hung stars and directs and does action choreography with uh, his stunt team. And um, there was a couple of guys singled out as choreographers. I think it was uh, Lam Ching Ying and Yoon Byu, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I I do remember correctly those those guys were singled out as well as Billy Chan. So the movie stars Sammo Hung, and he plays a pickpocket named Rice Pot, and his buddy, his partner in crime, is played by Frankie Chan, uh, whose name is Chimney in the movie. Now, just very briefly, Frankie Chan was uh, a kind of a big star back in like the 80s i don't know if he was a star before that um but he he's he was a composer for uh according to hong kong movie database 355 movies and he got his start at the shaw brothers studio and he worked on a lot of very uh prestigious and uh, illustrious films from the Shaw Brothers studio. His first film there uh, was the composer for the Cheng Che film, The Singing Killer. Um, that is... Yeah, that's the movie that, uh, when I reviewed it, it's kind of like this proto sort of uh, primordial version of... Uh, a John Woo movie it, the heroic bloodshed is all there and uh, stuff like that the friendship and stuff like that brotherhood but um, and, and it's all gun based like I don't there might be some hand to hand fighting but but most of all the, the fighting is gun based it's still like wildly um, over the top like a kung fu movie is um and i guess like hard boiled is, is pretty fucking over the top <laughs> um so anyway it it seems like it's it's like the first step towards those uh gun fu movies i don't really like calling them gun fu movies but but uh for lack of a better term those those fucking gun based movies that uh john woo made so popular and like Ringo Lamb and all these other uh, filmmakers um, but anyway Frankie Chan was the composer on that and then just tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of Shaw Brothers movies uh, for years and years and years and I mean like <laughs> he did a fuck ton of these Shaw Brothers movies and then, um, like, he, he composed music for, um, like, in his later days, he worked with 
with uh, Wong Kar Wai to do music for Chunking Express, Ashes of Time, Fallen Angels. So, you know, he's he's a, a big guy in the music um, realm of Hong Kong cinema. So, uh, they, uh, Sammo and Frankie Chan are, are buddies that work together, and then they also have a, um, a female sidekick helper, and uh, she's played by uh, Peng Sao Ha, who, and this was her only movie, and according to Hong Kong Movie Database, she is the wife of Yoon Byu. <laughs> and she's good in the movie. I mean, she's she's fine. So I don't know why she's not in more movies. Maybe Yoon Byu um, knocked her up, and and as most <laughs> Hong Kong actresses do, once they have kids or get married, they leave the industry. It happened to Michelle Yeoh. She's in a lot of these '80s movies. She's not in not in uh, in this movie, but she's she's um, she's in like. I don't remember which Lucky Stars movie, but she has a cameo in, in, in that. And she's in other Sam Hung movies around this time. And, and she has her own movies, too, like uh, Magnificent Warriors and fucking I don't know what else. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she, she then got married, and then she was gone from the industry for many years. And then when she got divorced, she came back. She did whatever the fuck her first movie back was and then she did like Super Cop and the, all these fucking other great movies uh, to this day so <laughs> thanks divorce you gave us Michelle Yeoh <laughs> um, so so much for, for blowing through these Jesus um, so they're 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 pickpockets, they have a female sidekick, and then they have a, a teacher um, played by Lao Hak Swin. Swin, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Lao Hak Shun. Shun? I don't know, I'm making shit up at this point. Um, and the, the, he's another actor. He's an older guy. He, like, his first, uh, first role was in 1934 very um, well-versed actor of Hong Kong cinema and um, he was at towards the end of his career in this movie he was only in uh, a handful of movies after this uh, one of which was Project A uh, with Jackie Chan and Sam O and whatever everybody else <laughs> anyway so these guys are pickpockets they're very slick so imagine the uh, the slickness and the the precision of Sammo Hung martial arts choreography, but applied to the art of pickpocketing, and not just the the pickpocket itself, but the the switch of goods after the pickpocket between um, operatives, <laughs> between criminals or whatever. So like. Sammo will grab the wallet and then he'll slyly like pass it over to Frankie Chan who then passes it over to um, the old guy or whatever and then they get away with the stuff and nobody knows who the fuck has it because it's passed through multiple people 
but it's uh, choreographed very well. Uh, but there's also fights in this movie. Um, not a whole lot. I wouldn't go in like thinking you're going to see a bunch of fights, but there there are a fair amount of fights. Uh, they do everything they're supposed to do uh, in terms of story-wise, but also uh, in terms of hyping you up for watching more Hong Kong movies. Uh, this is Sammo like in his fucking prime. Um, the beginning of his prime even. I would, you know, after this, like Wheels on Meals and Dragons Forever, like that era is probably his prime. Um, Pedicab Driver. I don't know. Well, he probably had two primes. <laughs> Can you have two primes? I don't know. <laughs> um, there's fights. They're good. I don't know what else to say. Um, there's stunts. Not a lot of stunts, but the the ones that are here are really good. There's this one thing, because they do a lot of work in, in malls because they're pickpocketing and there's people walking around malls. And so there's one part where this guy is... It looks very similar to the mall and police story, but I don't, I don't have this photographic memory of... of the mall and police story so I don't I, you know I can't say for sure but whatever anyway there's um, very similar to other malls so if you've been to a mall that has multiple stories you've probably seen something like this where um, the second story like imagine you're on the second story and then there's the the escalator going up and the escalator going down right next to each other and the one going up is on the, the right-hand side if you're looking right at it um, from below. Anyway, does that make any sense? I don't know. Anyway, um, so this guy is trying to get away. So he runs around the corner, gets on the, um, the escalator that's going down. And while he's doing that, like probably four or five steps down that he's moved this fucking guy from the second story just launches over <laughs> like he just comes out of nowhere you don't even see him he just comes out of nowhere like a full run and just jumps over the railing over the the going up escalator and fucking flies right into the guy that's trying to get away on the down escalator it's like a one second shot it's a throwaway moment but it's so a uh, fucking amazing and it, like how quickly it's handled and and nonchalantly shot it's just it's just a fucking straight up shot no bullshit it's it's so like goddamn hong kong movies are fucking impressive i just i love it i love them so much uh, so if you want to see uh, Sammo Hung go to a fucking uh, discotheque wearing a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt <laughs> and and doing a uh, version of Charlie Chaplin's um, fork and potato dance from the fucking Gold Rush, <laughs> does he do it with potatoes? I think he does. Anyway, that's what Sammo d does in this movie. Um, he does a version of that in a Mickey Mouse uh, sweatshirt in in a uh, discotheque. Very enjoyable. There's some dancing. 
there's a fight in there it's uh <laughs> you know it's very enjoyable super fun I don't really have much else to say other than if you like Sammo, if you like Hong Kong movies, this is a fucking no-brainer. You gotta see it. It's it's a very good movie, very well put together. Um, not as sophisticated as I think some of his other movies are, but the level of quality in terms of uh, direction is really high, and definitely higher than than whatever like Jackie Chan was putting out at the same time um not really fair to judge them because by this point Sammo had many more movies under his belt um but whatever you know they they're they're forever linked so I'm forever going to be talking about them together um did I lose the fucking thing again no okay Uh, fuck, I gotta take a break. Alright, so I am back after a lengthy break. It's now the morning. And... uh, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Um, Mortuary. Is the next uh, movie on the on the list is uh, 1983 Mortuary. It is a horror movie about a mortuary. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, this movie starts out with um, a guy being uh, murdered by a pool. He gets a bat to the face. He goes into the pool. He's um, drowning or or whatever as they do as you do in a pool if you get hit by a a bat (laughs) to the face and then they uh, uh, his daughter runs out on the balcony uh, screaming daddy daddy (laughs) Uh, cut to now uh, there's a couple of um, young 80s uh, 20 somethings Dudes uh, checking out a warehouse. They go into the warehouse, and apparently this is the warehouse of the local mortuary. And the one guy, (laughs) I always describe, oh, this guy and that guy. Anyway, so this one guy, he used to work at the mortuary, and he got fired. I don't remember why. But uh, he decides that he's going to get back at the guy who uh, owns the mortuary by going to his warehouse and stealing some tires. You know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> why Why are there tires at the guy's warehouse? I don't know. I guess you got to put tires on the hearses. I don't know why that would be um, like an internal mortuary business <laughs> uh, problem but anyway this mortuary has a, a fucking massive warehouse and there's tires there <laughs> uh, they also find a bunch of weird shit while they're there including a uh, a coffin 
that um, it contains uh, like a fucking AK-47 and a top hat. Why? I don't know. I don't think we ever really <laughs> learn why. Um, anyway, it's just a, it's a big fucking warehouse, and they're they're tromping around, and while they're tromping, they happen to find uh, the the owner of the mortuary um, in some fucking hidden back room, and he's dressed up in a fucking red and black uh, caped sort of suit thing and and he's got a bunch of women uh, with him they're in uh, black hooded fucking robes and they're doing some kind of satanic shit and at that that's the point of the movie where you go oh shit here we go satanic mortuary guys working with dead bodies but that's not what mortuary is about So very soon after they find that, um, the guy that was stealing the tires gets murdered by a person in a black uh, robe, cloak, whatever you want to call it, and he's killed with a some kind of a mortuary uh, device that involves some kind of piercing instrument and a tube. Um, I don't know what it's called, but it's a thing with the tube, and you can, uh, it's probably for, for letting off uh, body fluids or something else, or pumping in formaldehyde or whatever they have to do, something like that. Anyway, so he's killed with that. The other guy, the main character of the movie, uh, doesn't know that the other guys got killed, and, uh, <laughs> whatever anyway so so this the dude that that gets away um <laughs> jesus uh his girlfriend is the guy is is the girl who who watched her dad uh die in the pool and the movie is not very good it's it's a very weird sort of movie um it's pretty slow. It's not very interesting. Uh the the intro part that I very poorly and vaguely described <laughs> isn't too bad, but but it just gets kind of boring in the middle. Um there's a lot of things I don't remember what movie I talked about before. Final Exam, I think it was. Um where they play like ominous music and then nothing happens there's a lot of that going on in this movie as well and like you know that's fine if you want to like build suspense over a moment for a purpose but in both of these movies it's more of a of a way to just uh, like take up time of the movie so it's real it's real shady, and you know, it and not my thing. I mean, I don't know whose thing that would be. I love a movie that fucking wastes a lot of time, you know. <laughs> like I don't. <laughs> anyway, um, also in the movie, uh, in a supporting role, 
is a young Bill Paxton, as I talked about uh, earlier in the show. And let's see how young he is, because I don't, I don't really have anything meaningful to say about this movie. <laughs> Bill Paxton. Oh, poor Bill. He was young. He was born in 55, so in 83, that would be, what is that, 28? No? Yeah? Yeah. 28. Well, fuck. He looks a lot younger than that. Uh, So he's 28, and that... Hmm. I wonder if that was one of his first movies. He's he's definitely not the, the Bill Paxton of legend in this movie. You know, he's, he's still finding himself. Um... Let me see. What do we got here? We got uh, Bill Paxton. And his first movie was in 1975, uncredited. Whoa. And then the next movie after that was Stripes in 1981. He played a soldier. Mortuary is a couple movies after that. So, yeah, it's pretty much one of his uh, very first movies. And he's really good in it. He's very memorable, which I guess you could say about most Bill Paxton roles is that he's a memorable guy. Um, his character is that he's the son of the guy who runs the mortuary, and he's kind of got a thing for the girl who watched her dad get killed. Uh, <laughs> um there's a part where like the, uh, they're at the cemetery and the the couple is there the the guy from the, the warehouse and the and the girl who watched her <laughs> dad get killed <laughs> it's fucking vague <laughs> descriptions um it's funny to me so i keep doing it but i don't know what it's like to listen to jesus <laughs> uh, anyway, they, they, uh, they're at the cemetery for some reason that I don't remember, and they meet uh, Bill Paxton there, um, not on purpose, and he's there to, to visit his mother's grave, and like he has like this bouquet of roses, and he gives one to the girl because he likes her, and then like... <laughs> fucking he gives her one and then he does like this weird sheepish fucking look <laughs> and then he skips away <laughs> like through the fucking tombstones <laughs> um you know it's just uh it, bill paxton is a memorable memorable guy um <laughs> uh, i'm gonna miss him he's a good guy if you haven't seen frailty he directed a movie called Frailty. If you haven't seen that, you really need to fucking see it. It's a fucking great movie. I've, I saw it once when it came out. Um, Evan saw it, and he was talking about how fucking dope it was. And it was it came to the dollar movies, and I went and saw it at the dollar movies. I was the only person in attendance, and it was fucking fantastic. Um... I, I really should watch it again um, one of these days. 
I say that about everything. One of these days. <laughs> uh, but it's fucking great. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Bill Paxton and uh, I think McConaughey's in that movie too. I really don't remember. But anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> that's mortuary. I don't, I don't think I have anything else to say about. It. I can't think of anything. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, the, I was gonna say that the uh, the killer with the cloak and you vaguely kind of see his face at times um and it's a white like it's clear that that the uh the killer is putting some kind of white makeup on their face uh whenever you see like a flash of it it's it's like stark stark white and uh it really reminded me of scream i'm not a scream fan you know i i, I don't that's that's like the the fucking end of good horror. I don't know. It it just like uh, kind of made horror this kind of teen pop fucking trend. It probably was before that, but that really like solidified it in the mainstream as this you know stupid ass thing. Like maybe it always was, but it just uh, I don't know. It made it it made it real mainstream. So I don't. I, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, it's uh it reminded me of Scream. Did they did they take some inspiration from this? Maybe. I don't know. Why would I know? <laughs> but you don't come here for concrete facts. You come for fucking vague descriptions of movies you've never seen or heard of. <laughs> Alright, so fuck Mortuary, let's move on. Um I wanted to talk about the last movie that I watched, a black exploitation movie called Brotherhood of Death. It is about a group of black dudes that live in a very small rural. I always hate saying rural. Um, I feel, I feel like I've said it on the podcast, but anyway, they're at some rural town in uh, the, the American South. And there's a lot of racism there, of course. And these these black dudes are driving around in a bus, and they encounter a lot of racism. And it's during it's set during Vietnam War, so they go um, off to Vietnam. There's uh, a section while they're in Vietnam in the jungle, and they meet up with this character, um, this, like a sergeant guy. You know, I should look at my notes. Uh, <laughs> let's see what do we got here yeah all the racism stuff anyway so they join the army to get out of their their shitty life um, and they meet this sergeant I think his name is Captain Quinn but don't quote me anyway uh, they meet him and he's like if you're going to survive this fucking war you got to learn how to uh, be in a war. You can't just be some fucking dudes from the South sitting in a fucking hole because that shit don't work. You gotta learn about survival. You gotta make your own fucking traps and shit. You've got to uh, learn how to be uh, in survival mode but also on the offensive. 
and so they learn all this shit from this guy he's a fucking dope character and while they're off uh on some mission or whatever uh they come back to camp and they f- and they find out that this guy got killed and it's kind of a big blow and it's an interesting handle it's inter- it's handled interestingly this is a really low budget movie but they do um everything they can to not make it seem like a low budget movie and in some respects it's obvious that it's low budget but in a lot of ways it's a really smartly made movie and the guy who directed it uh this is his first movie uh he's 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 called Bill Barry and i think he only made one other movie uh, which is sad because this is a really good movie. It's very well made, especially considering the low budget and stuff. Um, but uh, by by handling his death off screen, you you don't have to show any kind of battle. You don't have to fire guns. You don't have to do anything. The guy's just there one day talking. The next day he's not there. So it's it's very simple, you know, budgetarily. But also, by handling his death in that way, he's such a force, and he comes into these guys' life like this fucking beacon of hope, saying, um, you don't have to be oppressed, you don't have to be in this war, or in this life, going through it on the defensive Act of like feeling sorry for yourself and and uh, feeling like um, the 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 VC or the white racist or anybody you know is better than you or or is you know oppressing you offensively. You have to take control and be in survival mode, but also on the offensive. And that's the only way to take, um, take your freedom or whatever, take the the upper hand in the war. And so, if you want to, you know, use the the war of racism, you know, you can see some parallels there. Um, so, this guy dies off screen. This amazing force in their lives. He's just gone, and it kind of shakes them and they're like oh fuck this guy's dead like what the fuck <laughs> so then they return home war's not i don't know if the war's over but they they fulfill their requirement whatever they return home it's not a lot of logic you know it's just they're home okay so they return home and there's i think one of their friends his girlfriend gets raped by a bunch of racist dudes and they first these guys returning from the war they first are like um you know you should call the police what's going on like what are you doing to to combat this like like this can't stand you have to the, you know the police have to do something uh, but the the townspeople are still in this mode of of oppression, and they're just like, well, there's nothing we can do. This is what happens. This is just basically what it is. 
But these guys have learned differently from this mentor figure. And so they decide that they're going to do something. Well, if anybody asks, I'll lock them up. Oh, you lock them up. You can lock up a string, man. And eventually that leads to them being violent about it. But it doesn't immediately turn to, like, these highly trained war hero dudes with survival fucking instincts just slaughtering racists. It eventually builds to something like that, but something like that. It's not exactly that, but it builds to something like that. But but the, the drive of the movie is not that. And if you watch the trailer, the trailer makes it sound like it's just fucking black dudes killing racists the whole fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that at all. It's really a well-written movie, uh, well put together. And what I really like about the movie is it not only shows the physical power of, uh, like, the immediate return of physical power by being a strong person and standing up for your rights and standing up for yourself and your community and your your brothers and, and neighbors and everything against this fucking group of assholes that are trying to keep you down. And I honestly found it kind of uh, relevant for today's Trump America bullshit where, you know, we have to stand together and hold these fuckers accountable. But, But that's beside the point. Anyway... It shows this physical power for immediate reaction, but it also talks a lot. And there's a there's a, a number of scenes where they talk about voting, and they talk about voter suppression, and they talk about how all these black people, if they got up and voted, like the the scared townsfolk, when when the the servicemen come back, they're like you know we need to get voting and get some fu- get these fuckers out of office start like taking control of our lives and so they go on this big thing where they're they're getting all the townspeople to rise up they're busing them in to vote and then they they are uh the the racists don't like that and they they're trying to suppress them to keep them uh, uninformed and and fearful for their lives you know because an uninformed, fearful population is an easily controlled one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and that's like obviously like a, uh, a long-term strategy for fighting oppression. Um, and so it shows, it shows the immediate and the long-term and the, the benefits and sort of... Uh, no. what's the opposite of a benefit I don't know I can't think the not benefit <laughs> uh, I can't use my excuse that it's late so now it's like ah it's early whatever I'm just trying to wake up now it's not as as sophisticated as, as I'm describing it uh, specifically it doesn't go deep into these themes, but these themes exist in the movie and they exist to showcase like uh, these ideas. And so even if they're not fully developed, I feel like it's 
quite admirable of a movie that is basically billing itself as Vietnam vets come home and fight racists. Like, you could go real straight ahead with that and have no social commentary or nothing like that you would get out of that other than some fucking badass, you know, Rambo-styled kills and shit. And there is some of that. But um, this movie definitely has more to it, and I liked that considerably. It's also very well shot and uh, very well acted by everybody involved. And it's interesting because uh, in order to keep costs down, uh, the producer, I don't remember who it is, but but this I read about this guy, and the producer watched black exploitation movies and said to himself, the acting level is so low in these movies, I just it's not quality acting, that I feel like I can get unknown people and put them in this and put them in a movie and to keep the budget down and I feel like they'll be as good as anybody else in these other movies that I would have to pay a lot more for. And so there's a lot of young actors in the movie, some of which went on to other things. And uh, like there's a, there's a guy that I love called, um, his name is uh, Lee Tari. He later went on to have a recurring role in uh, Different Strokes and a bunch of other stuff too. Um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Haskell Anderson. He was also in uh, Kickboxer. He he's in the movie. He's one of the main guys, uh, but the the main the main uh, the main guy, I guess. I don't know. They're all the three the two guys that I mentioned and this other guy are are basically like co leads because they're the three guys that go off to Vietnam. And so um, anyway, the guy said, "Oh, I can get anybody to to fill these roles," and so he got three. Uh, players from the Washington Redskins uh, because number one people know who they are and number two they've never acted so he can pay them fucking dirt cheap so the the main guy is a, a football player named Roy Jefferson now I don't know a lot about fucking late 60s early 70s Washington Redskins football so I don't you know I don't know who these people are but Roy Jefferson was one of the uh, one of the guys, and then there was there's also in addition to uh, the rape in the movie, there's also a, a black dude that gets killed on the side of the road, and that's another um, football player, and then uh, fuck who was that? The, oh, the the Captain Quinn, the the guy in Vietnam, uh, the badass guy. He's played by another. Um, football player and but Roy Jefferson is like the main guy and he's really good uh, but I don't think he did anything else after this uh, but anyway uh, I don't know is that, that's brother to death is do I have anything else that's it pretty much I think um, yeah yeah I don't know anyway it's fucking good if you like black exploitation movies I'm sure you'll like it I liked it and I'm not super into them um, I mean and I say that I'm not super into them but 
I'm into them way more than most people. So, <laughs> because most people are into them zero. So that'll be the show coming up on the the site this week. What do I have? I have a review of the Jackie Chan movie Rush Hour Two coming at you, and Stephen's got a review of uh, Ghost in the Shell, the new movie. Not the Scarlett Johansson new movie, but the the. 2015 or 2016 uh, anime and that is called Ghost in the Shell, the new movie. It's actually called the new movie. Like, how fucking lazy can you be? <laughs> Pretty fucking lazy. It's called the new movie. Anyway, we've got a review of that coming up from Steven. And then uh, the Shaw Brothers movie of the week is going to be the sequel to The Water Margin called All Men Are Brothers. And uh, not to let the cat out of the bag, but I fucking love All Men Are Brothers. So uh, definitely check out those reviews on the site. And until then, stay frosty. And and, uh, adios. I'll I'll catch you later. (laughs) Shoot a cop with a gun.